Hi everyone, and welcome to Her Story, where we share our stories to claim our space. I am so excited for you all to listen to episode two, and my guest today is Madeline Marizio. She is currently a middle school band director, and she shares a lot of her experiences growing up at the collegiate level and as a professional musician and educator. So I'm very excited for you to listen to what she has to say about these issues. Enjoy. My name is Madeline Marizio, and I'm a middle school band director. I'm in my third year of teaching, and I grew up in Albany. My primary instrument is saxophone, and I got my degrees at the Crane School of Music up in Potsdam, northern New York, and I got my grad degree at Michigan State. Woohoo! Yeah. Yay! So I'm really excited you're here. (laughs) Thanks! Let's start by talking a little bit about why you started playing the saxophone, a little bit about the school program that you came from. Sure. So I went to school at the in the Averill Park School District. My mom is a teacher there. Cute. Yeah. She's a sixth grade math teacher. I had her when I was in sixth grade. Yeah, oh, literally. That's fun. <laughs> it was great. It was great. So I, we picked out instruments at the end of fourth grade I think it's hard to remember and then we started playing and started lessons in fifth grade and I originally started on the saxophone and the violin because I didn't know what I wanted to do you were extra oh yeah and I was it really though and I was one of those kids that didn't have lunch because band and orchestra met opposite your lunch in elementary school and I had to eat my lunch within like 10 minutes and then go from band to orchestra yeah I know. <laughs> I picked saxophone. Honestly, my my parents played music a lot growing up in the house, and one of their favorite bands and musicians is Dave Matthews. There's a ton of amazing, cool saxophone stuff in his music. So I was like, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I picked saxophone. I don't know why I chose violin. I think just because it was like it looks cool and like put moving the bow back and forth. Like I really don't know. It was like, just looked rad. Yeah. There you go. It was like, it was, the violin was like always the ones that you see in like movies or children's books or whatever. Yeah. But then after probably literally two months of violin, I was like, nah, this isn't for me. Like, I don't even think I made it through past the point in the book where the letter names are still written in the note heads for you. (laughs) Like, I was just like, nah, I'm not doing violin anymore. So that's funny. Yeah. So, uh, so then I stuck with saxophone. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty interesting because the band that my parents played that made me want to play trumpet was Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and my my sixth grade band director who started me on trumpet in fourth grade, he loved Earth, Wind, and Fire, too. Mm. And I saw him, they did, like, an instrument demo for the third graders that were going to be in fourth grade in the spring, and he sounded so awesome yeah. that I was like... I need to play this. And all my friends were like, I'm going to play flute or clarinet. Yeah, yeah. I was like, no. <laughs> I 
not not touching a woodwind. Definitely right. not a woodwind player, but <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. But I, I tried saxophone first, mm-hmm. and I couldn't get a sound note on it. Wow. What? Yeah. That's really surprising. Because it's like the everyone's... easiest yeah. one to get a sound I could not. Oh. Yeah. Crazy. And shout out to Mr. Furminger, my elementary <laughs> band director, because I tried saxophone first, and he was like, uh, yeah, no, you're a brass player. <laughs> nope. Because he already had so many trumpet players in the band, and my last name was Reed, mm-hmm. so I was at the very bottom of the list. Uh. So he was like, okay, we have too many trumpet players, even though that was my first choice, and yeah. saxophone was my second, so he had me try saxophone first, and I was so bad at it, <laughs> I couldn't, nothing was coming out, and then I get like a high-pitched squeak. Yeah. And I then, wonder if you were putting your teeth on the reed. Probably. Line. Yeah, and that's, he just didn't. That's, yeah. yeah. And then he <laughs> and then he got a trumpet out and I immediately got like a really good sound. He was like, Okay, you're definitely a brass player, so that's that's kind of funny. Yeah. That I we um, have a similarity. I ended up I don't know why. I ended up switching to Barry Sachs in seventh grade. Oh fun. And I was always the shortest kid, like the smallest kid mm-hmm. in my class. And so seventh grade comes and I have this giant instrument, and I'm, like, literally dragging it behind me. And mm-hmm. I, like, can't even get enough air to hold it a note for four counts. And I played it for, I think, three years, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. And then when I switched back to alto, I think I switched back to alto in tenth grade, and that's kind of when I decided I, want to be, I wanted to be a band teacher. And my band director, my high school band director, he was like, oh, you can't audition on Barry Sachs. You have to audition on alto sax. All right, but yeah, I think I think Barry Sachs like really got my lungs kicked into high gear and my and my breath support, so that was cool. But yeah, I was literally dragging behind me because it was as big as I was. Yay! Yeah, love it. And my mom loves to tell the story. And my high school band director, she walked in the first day of high school, and she walked me in, and my and she carried my baritone saxophone down to the band room. And my high school band director looked at her. And he was like, why are you carrying that? And I was like, do you see her? <laughs> and uh, and he was like, mm-hmm, it's her instrument. She She's carries her carry. instrument. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so cute. Yeah. Love that. So obviously you mentioned that in 10th grade you kind of figured out that you wanted to be a band director. Yeah. Which is interesting because that's when I figured it out yeah. too. What made you want to be a band director? My high school band director was and, and still is. Um, an incredibly influential mentor in my life. Mm -hmm. I talked about everything, not even related to teaching or education, but just, just everything. I would be one of those kids that wouldn't want to have lunch with my friends in the lunchroom. I would go to the band room and we would sit and have lunch together and just talk. He really got to, like, the nuts and bolts of what it is to be a musician and how a musician or and how music can um, affect a person's life and bring so much joy and bring people together and I wanted to be that person for other people I wanted to be that person for students and inspire young people like he did with me and you know I wasn't the only one that felt that way he he had like a following yeah in our school and the band room was always just such a safe and welcoming and nurturing positive place yeah and that's exactly what I wanted to create for 
for my students. High school wasn't easy for me. Yeah. I don't think it's easy for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're one of those people that peaked in high school. Right. <laughs> and we, and we know, know a few are. of those. Yes. <laughs> yes. Anytime I felt like I needed a place to kind of regroup, yeah, I would go there. Yeah. And I skip class sometimes. Yeah, so did I. But, <laughs> right. My students better not be listening to me. I know, right. Because <laughs> um, they try to skip class and come to my room all the time. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, I'm a first year teacher. Yeah. Please Who don't do this to me. The me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Give me like three years. You're right. And you'll be okay. Yeah. So, did you have a female band director at all growing up? Yeah. Or my a private teacher. My fifth grade band director was, was a woman, okay. um, Mrs. Morris. And she, I swear, was, like, 135 years old. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I just remember she would do this thing where if we were talking too much, she her eyes would get really wide. And she would, like, she'd be like, students, this is not how we do this. And then she would get this, like, creepy, weird smile and be like, okay, let's try this again. That's and crazy. Was like, she was, like, she was a little bit scary. Um, <laughs> Love it. Yeah. But but that's the only one. My my middle school band director was a man, Mr. Morins, mm-hmm. and then uh, then high school. Yeah, my my school district I came from had in the time that I was there pretty much a band director for every grade level because oh, we wow. were a big district. Yeah, and so the only band director that I had that was a female was my seventh grade band director, and I often think about that a lot and reflect upon. If I didn't have her mm-hmm. in my life, would I have thought that I could even be a band director? Mm-hmm. And if my private teacher in high school, if he didn't show me, like purposefully show me professional female trumpet players and conductors mm-hmm. and those people, like he would give me the resources to go seek those things out, I don't know if I would have thought that I would have been successful in that either. Yeah. Because my seventh grade band director ended up being my pit orchestra director and everything when I was in high school. So she was still around okay. during high school as well. So I ended up having a really close relationship with her. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I always think about that. Because yeah. if I just had a male band director all the way through and my private teacher didn't care about the fact that my instrument is so underrepresented in yeah. my gender yeah. that if he didn't care enough, would I even think about that right. as a career? Yeah. It's very interesting to think about. That is interesting. I'd say you're you're pretty fortunate to have people like that that have showed you the way. Yeah. Yeah, my private teacher was also male. He didn't do things like that for me, but again, going back to my high school band director, it was never it was never a question of whether or not this is something I could do. One of my favorite things that he always says that I tell my students all the time is that you have to be selfish with your education. You can't just sit there and let it passively fall over you. Yeah. Because there's not a lot of growth to be had with that. So that's one of the things that I carry with me a lot of the time. And it's not it's not selfish in a negative way. It's just you got to advocate for yourself and you have to do what you know is right and stand up for stand up for what you do you talked about how he was very positive and everything Mm -hmm. about you playing your instrument being Mm -hmm. successful 
What were your experiences like with your peers? Like in middle school and high school, did you... Were they mainly positive? Was it like a grab bag of things? <laughs> I'd say it was a grab bag for yeah. sure. Among my band peers, mm-hmm. it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. No issues. Like, no issues at all. Were your saxophone sections that you grew up in, were they... Were they predominantly like, male. Predominantly male. Yeah. Okay. But there were still some, like, female players all the way through? Or were you the only one at, at times? Wait, how long ago was ninth grade? For, for you? For me. I don't know. It was... I'm almost at my 10-year high school reunion. So, what, 15, 14 years ago? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I distinctly remember predominantly male, but when I was an upperclassman, junior and senior, there was a female saxophonist and the section, and her and I... Her and I bonded quite a bit. I kind of would take her under my wing sometimes, and I would again, skip class, to come down, and uh, and I would, like, teach her lessons. Like, my high school band director would all the time be like, hey, you should, uh, there, there's a saxophone group coming down, you should come teach them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, and he would have people direct part of the band sometimes, mm-hmm. and I was always terrified to do that. I'm not, I, I have, I'm, I'd say I'm a confident person, but being put under pressure and on the spot like that really freaks me out. Yeah, and I feel like at least the dynamic, and this is me being a brass player just sitting behind mm-hmm. the saxophone section yeah. at the time, I feel like there's always the, with with regards to gender and playing the different saxophones, mm-hmm. I feel like there's always a very heavy emphasis on women playing soprano and alto. Mm-hmm. And then if you're a female player and you're playing Barry, you're like a pink unicorn right. and a sheep. Yeah. And everybody's so like, true. oh, yeah, you're such a badass. Yeah. Like, it's either that, yeah, and it's either that or or the opposite. Just all yeah. the negative th- things thrown your way. I don't mind being called a badass. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, of course no one will. Yeah. But I, I feel like there's that imbalance, and I feel like people try to defend it by saying, oh, well, male voices mm. are the lower saxophones, so that's why boys are attracted to those. To the lower sounds. And I'm like, I don't really think that's it. I think it's, they see it as that's the big saxophone. Right. I want to play the big saxophone. The big one. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I always thought that was interesting. Even like high school, college, Mm -hmm. I, I had one of my male friends in high school when I was a freshman, he was a senior and Mm -hmm. he was a freak of a saxophonist and he played soprano. Mm -hmm. But that was just because he was able to get the soprano sax in tune. (laughs) Right, yeah. It's such an animal. Make it sound so great. Right, yeah. Yeah, but other than that, like, all through my undergrad, it was always female playing soprano. Yeah. And mainly females playing alto. Mm Mm-hmm. And you got down to the berries and it was all men. Yeah. So I always think that's interesting. Yeah, that because is Because it, it shouldn't matter. Because right. when no, you're no, a professional, no. you have to be able to play all four. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I think the only reason why I switched was because there's, I mean, auditioning on Barry Sachs. I mean, in, in college, you learn on alto saxophone. And, of course, you have mm-hmm. experience playing all the other instruments, but that's your main And I feel like horn. the vast majority of the repertoire that you would play in is, a large ensemble is alto. Right. Even, like, with an orchestra. Yeah. When you look oh, at all yeah. the orchestral pieces that feature saxophone. Yeah. All of the... Never saw a berry there. Yeah. <laughs> no, never. Like, all of the, meaning, like, the, the five. five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pictures at an exhibition. Woo! How many times that's can you play that? That's the only one I could think of. <laughs> but that's just because I'm a trumpet player, and right. I have to play that excerpt 
all the yeah. time. I mean, Bolero. We got Bolero, too. Oh, yeah, it's true, Bolero. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Yeah. But yeah, no, I just thought that was interesting. Let's talk a little bit about your college experiences. Okay. Because you, you majored in music ed for undergrad, right? Yeah. And then saxophone performance for your graduate yeah. work, so. Yeah. I entered Crane in 2011, and I went to Crane because I had participated in their summer program, Crane Youth Music, for like a couple Cute. summers. Yeah, and it was awesome. And I really, really felt connected to the saxophone professor there. At the time, it was... Uh, Dr. Chris Craviston, and he, an amazing, amazing saxophonist. And I had taken lessons with him while there and taken a few lessons before I auditioned. And it, it felt like the right place to be. Mm-hmm. So I got accepted there and ended up going there. And then sadly, he transferred to Arizona State after my freshman year. I mean, he's thriving there he's his the Arizona State saxophone studio is incredible that was a little bit hard because I mean you pick a lot of the decision for where you want to go to school is based on who your teacher yeah Yeah. his replacement Dr. Robert Young came in and and he was fantastic Dr. Young like hands down taught me how to practice I I didn't know how to practice efficiently until I had I feel like that's one of the biggest holes yeah in secondary education for mm-hmm. me, like for our band suits, stuff like that, is that they never learn how to practice efficiently. It's true. And how to do that. And I don't think it's necessarily a fault on the band directors because right. that takes a lot of time to teach a kid that. It's a lot of time and, the, and a lot of it is on the kid too. And exactly. And a lot of kids, kids these days, yeah. like just won't put in the time. They need a kick in the butt. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. That did that. How was the music ed program for you? Like, teacher preparation-wise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Many of the music ed professors hadn't really been in a classroom in a long time. Mm. So, I feel like that's an issue with a lot of yeah. schools. And sure. I didn't really have strong opinions about it because I really didn't have a frame of reference. I don't know what is good and what is not. Yeah. Until it was, it must have been my freshman or sophomore year, really early on. And they they had a Skype guest with a female band director. Mm-hmm. I don't remember where she's from. I don't remember her name. I don't remember anything about her other than she told the enti- my entire class, we don't need to be practicing our instruments so much anymore. <sighs> yeah. She's like, you don't need to be practicing your instruments so much anymore. What you need to be, do is, be doing is reading up on how to, how to teach music. And here's things that you can do and I was like wait a second I'm just getting started like <laughs> what and I, okay, and I was that is there. one of my biggest pet peeves yes yeah, absolutely I don't mean to go yeah. off on another tangent yeah. <laughs> we'll come back to this but this is definitely a major issue with music education yeah. programs mm-hmm. is that we often as ed people, complain that people don't take us seriously yep. on our instrument. Yep. All the time. However, the program and the people that they let into their program mm-hmm. just further feed into the stereotype. Absolutely. They cut people slack because they're ed majors. Mm-hmm. They don't get as much lesson time. There are programs that oh, still really? only offer 30-minute lessons if you're an ed major and an hour That is bull. Yeah. My undergrad... We got the same 
yeah, time, mm-hmm. which was great. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Loved my teacher. Shout out to Jack Suddy. Yeah. Rocking it. But we would only get three credits for lessons, and performance majors would get four. Uh, and I thought that was total BS. I don't even Because we spent the same amount of time right. in the lessons mm-hmm. but the impression was you don't spend as much time practicing in the practice room. which was so funny to me considering I placed second chair in the top ensemble my freshman year so yeah I was spending as much time in right. the practice room if not more right. time in the practice room I was... than the vast majority of people yeah. so that that whole ideology angers me yeah and I will still fight people yes yeah. oh I will because too. you cannot be a good teacher and suck at your instrument right because if you can't play your instrument how are you supposed to a teach your primary instrument yeah. or teach any other instrument right. and there's there's so many things that go along with that discipline time management creating a, a disciplined practice schedule for yourself I mean all of these skills are really important when and that's like any that educator, hole not music educator. That we were talking about, like yeah. how we aren't able to teach our kids to properly practice. Yeah. I think it's, you know, maybe the time thing, but it also could be maybe some of these band directors have never They've never done it themselves. Done it themselves. So how are they supposed to teach it to some other kid? And then we rely on private teachers mm-hmm. to hopefully teach our kids these skills. But when you're in a school district where nobody can afford like nobody gets a private teacher. Yeah. I have one student who has a private teacher. Yeah. No. Two students that have private teachers out of hundred and thirty band kids that I have. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Meanwhile, when I was growing up, every like so many kids had a private yeah. teacher. Probably over 50% of the kids had a private yeah. teacher. So it's nuts. That's yeah. one of the things that, like, I will get on a soapbox oh, yeah. and be like, are you kidding me right now? Yeah. And people hate me for it, but I don't no. care. If I you mean, can't play your instrument, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you here? And sadly, you know, I've had some experiences where I've... The whole attitude between me and a professor has changed because of that there's a stereotype right damaging and it's upsetting and it's wrong and going back to dr young we had a wonderful conversation this past north american saxophone alliance conference in Mm -hmm. march pre-covid and he said you know it's really nice to see you at these conferences because so many people who go into public school teaching think that they that they can't play their instrument anymore and that's just not true and i was like thank you it's not yeah. true. It's not yeah. true. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was it was interesting for me entering Eastman for my graduate work. And I am an MM, so my music ed degree is performance-based. So I yeah. had to get into the studio still on my instrument. And my trumpet teacher, when I was applying, questioned the program I was applying in because I am literally the only person yeah. in my program and in my studio. Yeah. So there's there are other MM music ed majors in my school, but I'm the only trumpet player. Mm-hmm. And just from the vibe that I got from him, I feel like I'm the only one in a long time. Yeah. Because he's been there for a while. Yeah. There are like none of me. Right. Yeah. And that's a problem. Yeah. There should be more of me. Right. That is a problem. Ah. That's a huge <laughs> That's a huge problem. I know. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. And, yeah, that's, I feel like, one of the biggest issues in our profession. Yeah. Because, funny, because in other professions, 
if, let's say, you were a CEO of some business and you had an intern and you were supposed to be teaching them how to do your job, Mm -hmm. if you sucked at your job, you wouldn't get any interns. (laughs) Right. So I don't get why we are in a field where you can be mediocre at best and then you're supposed to teach kids how to do what you do. Not just kids, but also... Prospective teachers, up and coming educators. Yeah, when you take student teachers. Oh my god. Yeah. It's a cycle. Yes. When you get better at your instrument, you have more opportunities to have higher level musical experiences. Yes. Play in better ensembles, play in chamber groups, go in and see great live music and be able to appreciate a wider range of things because, like, you're living it. You're, Mm -hmm. You're growing. And if somebody, like, stunts their growth that you're just like cutting off an entire part of of our field that you could be sharing with students it I mean you can go so deep yeah but if (laughs) you have to do the work to get there and if you don't practice you're not it's not gonna happen and I think that outside of our you know our little ed bubble Mm -hmm. because everything has to be in a freaking bubble in the music profession which annoys me anyway (laughs) other majors need to realize that we are producing people that are going to come to your program Mm -hmm. they come from us so if you don't value us right and what we do right we are preparing performance people we are preparing music business people we're preparing composers we are doing Mm -hmm. all these things so a not only do we have to hold ourselves accountable and Mm -hmm. be able to handle ourselves in all those areas but they also have to understand that we are teaching those people that are going to be coming to you now yeah so you you better start putting some value in that yeah and I, I wanted to say that for so long it's like you know all of these higher education professors that look down upon public school educators We are a really important slice of the pie here, friends. Mm -hmm. Without us, you don't have students. Exactly. Literally. Yeah. Without us, there are no music schools. Right. There are no professional music careers. Right. Unless they went out and they started music privately without doing it in school, which is a percentage, yes, but a very small percentage, especially now. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So you went to Michigan State mm-hmm. for graduate work. Yeah. And you went for performance. So yeah. how is that dynamic different from going, since we're on this subject, going from a music ed program mm-hmm. to a performance program? So, I mean, just in the sheer amount of hours alone that you are you have an instrument to your face yeah. every day, it's, like, astounding. I went from playing, probably practicing, like, Two hours a day plus two hours a day in ensembles Mm -hmm. to practicing two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, quartet rehearsal for two hours, band rehearsal for two hours. It's like, it it goes from like four to like ten. You better be in love with your saxophone. Like, oh my god, and you better be in love with that practice room because that's where you're spending most of your time. By the time I left Crane, when I was auditioning for grad programs, I wasn't getting in anywhere. And it, it was like really discouraging. Then finally, Professor Luloff called me. It's like right before decision day. I was on the wait list for Michigan State and he was like, hey, why don't you come here? And I was like, yeah. awesome, great. People that I've met at Michigan State are 
they're my friends and my colleagues and my peers for life. I have such positive relationships with my studio and, and the people that I've met there. My, I met my quartet there, Casey Grev, who now teaches at Crane. Ooh, yeah, that's he's, fun. He's the soprano saxophone player and the Viridian saxophone quartet. And then Kyle Landry and Eric Troiano. And they were all doctoral students at the time when I entered in my master's. And I remember Eric reached out and they were, at the time, they were the Echo Quartet. She already had the right person, like, and I was in their quartet. I played alto in their quartet. And the first rehearsal, I was sweating. I was so nervous. Because here are all these people who have, like, three plus years experience on me. Yeah. And I'm just sitting here, fresh out of my undergrad, still playing on a really shitty mouthpiece. Woohoo! And <laughs> the entire time I was like, I don't belong here, I don't belong here, I don't belong here. But. Got the, like, imposter yeah, syndrome. Yeah, literally. It's the worst thing ever. That's the story of my life. Yes, me too. And the, But they're, they're my best friends. They're, like, yeah. my brothers. And I can't tell you how valuable it was to play in an ensemble where everyone's better than you. Yes. It, it elevates you beyond what you could just My do most by yourself in a positive room. experiences in ensembles were playing with people that were better than yeah. me. My most frustrating and demotivating experiences <laughs> in ensembles is when you're first chair and your heads and shoulders better Ugh. than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And then you're sitting there like, there's nothing motivating me right now to be better. Right. Right. And by the time I left BW, that was the case. Yeah. I was very not motivated. I mean, I feel like people like us, that's how they were in high school, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, my last, like, three years, like, three years <laughs> of high school, like, my freshman year, I sat behind two really great trumpet players, and they made me work my ass yeah. off because yeah. I said, I want to be that. Yeah. And I worked to a point where I was better than them by the next year. Right. And then I sat there like, okay, what am I doing now? Right. But that's when... And I have students like that in my ensembles. Mm-hmm. My heart goes out to those two kids. I know. Just and like, I encourage them so much to like, mm-hmm. here's this Eastman Honors Band. Yep. Go do that. Yep. Here's, go audition for All County. Go audition for Allstate. Because yeah. they get in this bubble yeah. where you're like, wow, I'm this big fish in this tiny pond. Yeah. And then you get out in there in the world and you're like, oh, yeah. I suck. Yeah. <laughs> right. No. And a couple of my kids made it into All County this year. And because of COVID, they weren't able to participate and I was just like no like you need this so bad yeah you need this yes and my heart just breaks for them yeah because I know I know how it feels yeah like you just look at their faces and it's just like oh I know what is going on in your brain right now and I'm sorry (laughs) like you just want to you just want to I don't know and like hard my first all-state experiences in high school were or when I would do, like, a summer music camp or festival or whatever. Those were the best experiences. Yeah. Like, I'm still friends with those people. Oh, my people gosh, yeah. Because for the first time in your life, you're meeting people that are just yeah. like you. Yeah. And you're like, wow, they exist. Yeah. <laughs> they, like, playing their instrument, right. too. What? Yeah. 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 But, yeah, it's 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 a great feeling, for sure. So, I'm, like, I'm glad that you had that experience as well. And yeah. that you know, you not only value being a teacher, but you value being a professional musician at mm-hmm. the same time. Yeah. And you're damn good at it. So. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> so, how was your experience with the faculty there? Just being a female grad student uh-huh. in a quartet with a bunch of guys, right? Right. And, you know, being that. And you were a TA as well, too. Yeah, I was the studio. Yeah. <laughs> being in the quartet with guys, I mean, you can imagine the conversations 
I'm sure. Um, oh, honey, I'm a back row brass player. Right. I was the, I was the only female for a very long but, time in my undergrad, that back row. Like, there would be pictures of yeah. my ensemble after a concert, and it's like, tux, 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 black dress, tux, tux, Yeah, tux, right. <laughs> Stuck out, like, yeah. so bad right in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, there, there are so many. But I think the funniest thing about being in a group with them is the apologies. Like, and how often they would come. They'd say, so, like, something about a girl or, like, even, like, a female professor or something. And then they turned to me, oh, sorry. It's just like, why are you apologizing to me? Like, I, are you, you think that, like, it was, I felt like them apologizing. Ostracized you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, we're going to talk like bros, but there's the woman over right. there, so we can't. So we're going to be a little bit soft. And so then, um, <laughs> and again, being guys, yeah, like, farts happen, right? <laughs> so, so, can't believe I'm saying this. That's um, okay. So, so literally, it would be, we'd be rehearsing, and then, and then one of them would fart or whatever, and then they'd look at me and be like, oh, sorry. Yeah. It's like, why are you looking at me? Because you're it's a like, lady. Right. And then when I started doing it, it was like, whoa, what was that? And it's like, guys, farts happen to everybody, and yeah. if you can do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it too. And I feel like, for me, I always grew up in that environment. Yeah. I have two brothers, first of all. Yeah. I play a very male-dominated instrument. Yeah. I was always in sections with a bunch of dudes. Mm-hmm. When I went to my undergrad, it was funny because all, basically all my friends were guys. Like, yeah. 99% of them were. Mm-hmm. And one of them was my boyfriend. Yeah. And they were all friends with him, too. Yeah. So, like, there was always those, like, stupid jokes going around. Yeah. But I feel like I had to overcompensate myself mm-hmm. and act so much more like a bro to yeah. get them to feel comfortable. But then I right. was like, why am I overcompensating myself to make you feel comfortable? Yeah. To uh, alleviate your fragile masculinity. And it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, I think it's a good thing that mm-hmm. at least they're like saying that stuff right. around you, but right. the apologizing, yeah. it's a little, like, really? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Just get over it. I'm an adult, friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they got, they got over it really fast. So, <laughs> we all got over it, and it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love them. They're great. I've had experiences with professors where a lot, of, I've had so many comments about what I wear, and I'm sure you have too. Oh, Yeah. I played a jury one year. I was in my grad work, and I was, I remember I was wearing black tights, short black heels, and a dress to my knees that had, like, a really pretty, like, lace white panel down the front, and the rest Mm -hmm. of the dress was black. Not too form-fitting, just, like, I thought really classy. Because as a woman, it's, you need to be hyper-conscious of all of those things, and it's so stressful. Yes. I'm sure you can relate to. That and, like... I feel like we almost downgrade the importance of comfort mm-hmm. and being able to play our instrument mm-hmm. in order to not receive different perceptions that are yeah. negative about who we are just because of how we dress. Right. And men don't have that problem yeah. because they can all wear the same damn thing. Mm-hmm. Button-down shirt, pants, dress shoes, right. cool, Easy. I'm done. Or yeah. a jacket. Yeah. Like, boom. Like, yeah. we have to always we worry. We have boobs. Yes. <laughs> and... For certain instruments, you have to, yeah, Yeah. they get in the way. If you have a strap Mm -hmm. or, like, a neck strap or anything, and, like, I don't even, I don't have to worry about that as a trumpet player, but 
I have to worry about what shoes I'm wearing. Oh, yeah. Because if I have to stand for an hour-long recital and I'm wearing heels, well, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. One of my best friends and roommates in college is also a trumpet player. Mm -hmm. And I admire the shit out of her for this. She, all of her recitals that she ever played, she wore socks. And that was it. (laughs) A really pretty gown and then, like, white athletic socks. I've actually... I could say this now because I'm I'm years removed from it. Yeah. But my first time ever playing a solo in front of people, I went out barefoot mm-hmm. because my outfit was long enough that you couldn't really see the yeah. tops of my feet. <laughs> so it's like, is she wearing sandals or is she? Ba- I was yeah. barefoot yeah. because I originally wore heels and I was in so much pain. Yeah. Even before I went on, I was like, screw it. Yeah. I'm going barefoot. Yeah. Everybody's sitting like kind of beneath me mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. I don't care. Well, there's horror stories of studio teachers mandating that women wear heels. Yeah. I've heard of that a million times. Mm-hmm. You know, our quartet went and competed in the North American Saxophone Alliance quartet competition in 2016, Mm -hmm. and we ended up winning that competition, which was awesome, and what an amazing experience and journey that was. But one of the judges was a male saxophone player. For one of the rounds, one of the live rounds, I was wearing a dress, a very, like, flowy dress, for our quartet, we would sit down and play. Mm-hmm. So with the alto saxophone, it doesn't hang off to your side. You put it in between your legs. Yeah. Now, of course, I'm mindful of this, obviously. And so I chose a dress that was long and flowy so that when I put the instrument between my legs, there was, like, not even a hope mm-hmm. of a little show or anything. Yeah. So I, in my mind, was was safe. This male saxophone judge comes up to the quartet afterwards the only thing he says to me is you need to wear pants when you play in a quartet because wearing a dress is incredibly distracting that was the only thing he said to me and we freaking won like not good job what not you didn't sound good wear pants next time please i turned and i looked at my quartet members and i was like of course of course. You go all the way there yeah. to do this competition, mm-hmm. and you want feedback on how you performed on your instrument. That's why you're there, and yeah. then he just says, wear pants next time. Yeah. What the hell is that? Yeah. Wow. There And there are, like, so many, so many of those instances. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, being a conductor. Oh, God, yeah. I'm always worried about what I'm wearing. Yep. Because everybody's looking at your Your butt. ass. Yes. <laughs> and my first concert, my dad was there and took a bunch of pictures, and I was wearing dress pants, but yeah. they were very tight on my butt, and I didn't even realize it yeah. until the pictures came out. And I was like, oh my god, all my kids' parents are going to think I'm like, oh. Yeah. Isn't it so stressful? And I was wearing pants. Right. But that's another, that's another issue as a teacher- with concert dress Mm -hmm. because one of my colleagues requires all the girls to buy a dress yeah Mm -hmm. and my school did the same thing I had to wear a band dress for four years yeah and let me tell you what a pain in the ass it is to be playing 
difficult mute. A lot of difficult wind ensemble rep for trumpet has like four different freaking mutes, and yeah. the boys can just. I'm gonna do this like yeah. for you, but no one can see me. <laughs> they would be able to just stuff the mute in between their legs yeah. really quick and do a quick mute change, or put it underneath underneath their, their, their knee, knee and hold that. it to the chair. When you have a dress, you can't do that because if you put it on your lap, the mute rolls off and right. it crashes on the floor in yeah. the middle of the piece, which has almost happened to me before and I had to catch the mute with my feet. Oh that was God. terrifying. It's those things that I feel like conductors and band directors don't think of right. when they require women to wear that. Mm -hmm. Not to mention all the gender issues oh that God, come yeah. with that. Because he was telling me, oh, this is what I do. I have all the girls wear this dress. I have all the boys wear this, like, you know, just black button-down, mm -hmm. black dress pants, shoes. And first of all, I thought it was not very equitable mm -hmm. because the girls had to pay for paid them. for their right. dress. Boys didn't have to pay for anything right. because that's already their dress clothes that they've had since, you know, the beginning right. of time. Not to mention when you require middle school students to do that, they grow like weeds every month. Like, the dress yeah. that, you, that you buy in the beginning of the year is not going to fit you at the end of the year. Yeah, so... He told me, he was like, oh, well, you can get in on this and we can do, like, the same thing together. And I told him no. Yeah. Just, like, flat out. And I felt kind of weird just being like, no. Yeah. But I do not make my kids wear a specific uniform. Yeah. I had to do it. I hated it. I'm not going to do that to my kids. I have one kid that is gender fluid. Mm -hmm in my high school band. I don't have any that are currently identifying as, like, transgender. Mm -hmm. If we were to assign them a specific uniform. But I do have girls that do not feel comfortable with wearing a dress. Right. And I told them, flat out, I said, if I do not have to wear a dress when I conduct, you shouldn't have to wear a dress when you play. Yeah. It's very hypocritical of me. Mm -hmm. And I wear pants when I conduct. Right. Yeah. That's what I do. I let them wear what they want to wear as long as it's professional looking and it's all black. So then right. we all like that's go literally together. that's what I do too. But it's funny to me because the issue is always women being distracting. Mm -hmm. It's never men being distracting. Yep. Mm -hmm. You're distract like how my yeah. shoulders yep. are distracting to you. Yeah. It's, that's pathetic if that's distracting to you. You are a pathetic human being. My shins are Yeah. Distracting to you, like, I don't understand that. Another issue that I've had is a lot of my students that are people of color. Mm -hmm. And there was a whole issue at the beginning of the year about hairstyles being distracting Ugh. during concerts. It should not matter. It doesn't matter. What the hairstyle is because you're playing your instrument and right. that's the goal. Yeah. And frankly... When you're in a high school program, the parents are watching the kids. Right. It shouldn't matter. Right. I'm sorry, we're not the freaking New York Phil right. who gets paid to be there. Yeah. These are kids that just want to put on a concert for their family. So right. it should not be a big deal. Right. I think it's important to think about, especially with kids that may not identify in the way that society wants them to mm -hmm. when it comes to assigning uniforms. Right. Of course. So, And I, yeah. I think the bigger overarching issue here is that especially, especially older teachers who are more set in traditional ways mm -hmm. don't value student voice. No. At all. Yes. Um, and that's incredibly damaging. And I think younger 
fresh in tune with society teachers <laughs> are it hasn't been as long since we've been students right and so that's a very vivid memory for us yeah and that and I think older teachers see student voice as being we're giving kids all the control they see it as being this whole thing where student voice is an entire yeah. spectrum right but and it also goes back to what the advice that I really hold to my heart that my high school band director said is be selfish about your education. Yeah. If, if we're telling students and we're teaching them to stand up for themselves and be advocates for themselves, then why the hell aren't we listening to them? I think student voice, they're, they're way smarter than people give them credit for. Yeah. And they have a lot to say and a lot of feelings and a lot of opinions. And a lot of the time, one of the best ways to connect with your students is to let them know that you hear them and you listen to yes. them and you value what they're saying. Yes, and it, for That's something all they want. as small as just what you wear for a right. concert, right. that is a very big deal yeah. to a lot of kids yeah. who feel like they are trapped in the way they have to dress for right. these things. Yeah. So even if you're just giving them that, mm -hmm. that's going to make so much of a big difference. Yeah. yeah. So while we're on the subject of being teachers... Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about our jobs. Yay! So, Madeline and I teach at a pretty diverse school district. It is still considered a suburban school district. However, North and South are very, very different from each yes. other. So, we have four... We have four... It's not to be quick. We have four, I guess, secondary schools in the sense that we have two schools that are just high schools. Mm -hmm. And then we have two schools that are 612 buildings. And that's us. Whoop. And that's us. So we, our buildings are literally a half mile down the road from each other. Mm -hmm. That's kind of interesting. Babes. So for the fact that that's such a huge, takes up such a huge land mass in the Rochester area and then have our schools like a half mile down the road from each other. Right. We get the same students from the same feeder schools. Yeah. So we get kids from nine different schools. Yeah. Now, obviously, we get more kids from certain elementary schools than others, mm -hmm. but we still get this giant pool that comes into middle school. Yeah. And Madeline teaches sixth through eighth grade band, and then I teach seventh through twelve. So I don't get the little newbie sixth yeah. graders. I get them by seventh grade. How is that working with having all those kids from all over mm -hmm. because we have kids from that are a lot more diverse, mm -hmm. are like socioeconomically, they're yeah. lower status, yep. they're basically city kids, yep. and then we have the mainly white suburbia, middle, upper yep. class kids that occasionally come down to our right. school. How, for you, teaching sixth grade, mm -hmm. what is your strategy? Like, what do you think about when you're putting together a repertoire or starting the new year? So I definitely don't have a solid answer because I'm still learning. It's yeah. only my third year. I've only done the whole new sixth grade thing twice. Yeah. What I'm learning is that the students come with a diverse background of mm -hmm. knowledge. There are some students that start in fifth grade and only have a year of playing under their belt. And there are some students that have two years. There are some students that have two years and have taken private lessons. And it's hard in such a large district to have continuity of curriculum, which is why this past summer and a little bit in, into this school year, I was on the committee for rewriting the music curriculum for the district. Yes. Because I felt really strongly that we're not unified. It was detrimental to our students' education. Particularly, we have teachers that use tons of different methods just, just to 
do one window for accounting rhythms. Yes. Right? Yes, we got the due day and the two day and, and the, the one, one and yeah. and the yeah. the boobity bop and yeah. the, I am not and a the, general music person. Yeah, <laughs> and, the, and the what is an eighth note and the Oh my gosh. <laughs> and what is a quarter note? With that, and I've seen that with my middle schoolers, with certain systems mm-hmm. that are being taught to them in elementary school, by the time they get to me, they don't know note values. No. They don't know how to count. No. Which, okay, I get the the reasoning for starting with syllables. Yeah. With the little babies. Girl, we are the same here. But we need to, like, there needs to be a transition yeah. into band, and that starts with fourth grade band. Right. They need to be going... We're going to count this right. now. Because there needs to be a frame of reference. And numbers, hello, like rhythms, it's basically math. Exactly. It's not basically math, it is math. Exactly. So there needs to be that transition that yeah. happens, and it doesn't fully happen for all right. of these kids. No. It doesn't even fully happen by the time they get to high school, because yes. they've heard so many freaking different things that they don't know. And 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 middle schoolers are not going to put in the effort, oh, I need to learn a new way to do this? Sure, I'll work really hard and catch up. Yep. Like, no! Are you kidding? <laughs> Have you ever met a middle yeah. schooler? Yeah. No. Maybe a kid. Yeah. That alone in itself is incredibly frustrating. I feel like I'm having to undo like two years of bad habits mm-hmm. and start from scratch. It would be Get them to catch way, all way easier if they just came to me knowing absolutely nothing, like not even how to take their instrument out of the case. Perfect. Beautiful. I can work with that. But when this kid over here is taking a saxophone out of the case and they're lifting it up by like the palm keys and then <laughs> and then this person is taking a trumpet out of the case and the mouthpiece is still attached into it and it's just like and then and then you have someone taking clarinet out of the case and they drop the reed on the floor and pick it back up and put it in there. My job is putting out fires. For for you string people out there, it's like if a kid went into their case and grabbed the bow by the hairs yeah. with their fist around it. It hurts. Physically pain, painful. Yeah. Yeah, my or, kids, my high schoolers don't know how to clean their instrument. They oh, don't that. know. Or they it's come terrible. in with a with a green saxophone. Oh, I have a purple one at my school. Oh, No I, one's ever touching that thing again. It's purple just, with, like, yellow keys. That's horrendous. No. 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 <laughs> it's not even... The lady I replaced, she was a great teacher. Yeah. She didn't even put it in the inventory, because I was just doing inventory mm-hmm. this week, and I found it, <laughs> and I went to the book, the yeah. record she had been keeping, and it's not even there. And I was like, yeah. thank you, yeah. Heather. Yeah. Turn it into a trash can. I should. Yeah. I, maybe I'll make it one of those, like, instrument lamps. Have <gasps> you seen those? Yes. yes. Love it. Do it. That's it's the purple. only use. It's honestly yeah. <laughs> I think a kid's parents just bought it, and then they graduated, and they were like, I'm just going to leave it well, in the band room. And that's that's the other issue that we encounter in our district is that, so my building is 100% free and reduced lunch. Yes. So a lot of the times our families can't afford to rent instruments. Mm. What they'll do is they'll look for a solution for like a one-time thing, cheap, gets the instrument in the hand, but they don't understand that they're making an even bigger problem for themselves down the road when this instrument breaks. When, not if. When Mm -hmm. this instrument breaks and then you try and fix it and then it breaks again and it breaks again and all of a sudden this investment that you made isn't worth it. Yep. And trying to explain that eloquently <laughs> and elegantly to a family who doesn't have much, that's 
a really big challenge. And you're, you know, it's, I feel thankful that our district has the amount of school-owned instruments that they have because it allows more students to have the opportunity to play. But that doesn't necessarily go without saying that we, we don't need more. We definitely need more. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your experiences when you started teaching. My interview was great. It was wonderful. I interviewed with your kids. That's you did! Oh you. my gosh, you did. I was like, I didn't know you were going to be there. I don't even and that know if terrified I me. Could have been there, but I you was. were. You were there at first. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Oh, their teacher's still here," and I got oh my God. so nervous. I didn't oh, know you. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, they're gonna be judging me so." Hard. No, literally, no, literally. I was like, "Okay, what can I learn from her?" <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so cute. Yeah, yeah no, I got really scared though because I like didn't expect you to be there. I thought it was just gonna be like the kids and then this like panel of people. Yeah. And then I saw you. I was like, "Oh." oh. Literally, I was there though to like maintain the peace because so <laughs> my first concert I ever did as a band director by myself uh-huh. was combined with the high school band director at Olympia yeah and he went up to the microphone and the kids from your building their soccer team mm-hmm. was going to states I think it was or something yeah. like that mm-hmm. and they beat Odyssey earlier in the season yeah and he kind of was ragging on our soccer team. Right. And some of my kids are on that soccer team. <laughs> and one of my kids went, like, at least our band doesn't suck. <laughs> like, right when those kids were on the stage. And my kids obviously, I was, like, bright red. Yeah. Because you know our kids. Oh, yeah. They'll they say will whatever, tell yeah. you, as like, what they're thinking yeah. as it is. They're not, yes, ma'am, right. yes, Oh, my sir. God, no. They, no. Yeah. And so I was sitting there, like, <laughs> mortified. Yeah. That's I didn't amazing. know what to do. Like, yeah. I mean, I obviously pulled that student aside and right. told her it wasn't appropriate, blah, yeah. blah, blah, yeah. And she was like, miss, they shouldn't have been ragged right. or something. Yeah. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Yeah. But yeah, um, continue. Okay. So my teaching portion of my interview was the Odyssey 7th and 8th grade band. And I heard them play, and I was like, damn, this is great. I was like, I, this, my whole opinion of the district changed. Not that it was, like, that bad in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I go and visit the school and the kids that I'm going to have the following year. And it's, I remember the day, it's June 11th. And I go and I watch a rehearsal, a 7th and 8th grade band rehearsal. And the kids are coming in. The rehearsal is a live-streamed performance that... I was put in charge of <laughs> controlling the computer for the live stream performance that three people watched. And in the middle of the piece, one of the percussionists in the back just sh- chucks a mallet across the stage, just throws it. And I'm sitting there behind the computer out in the seats and I'm like, what did I just do? Like, what did, what I, did I just, just sign up what for? What did I just get myself into? <laughs> and then I go and try and talk to a bunch of the kids and some of them are really responsive, and then some of them just didn't even answer me and stared at their phones, and I was like, all right, cool. And that was that, and I and I took a lot away from that day, and, you know, I have to really plan for the worst here. Like, you know, I, I, I have to be on my game. And that was, I think, one of the most shocking things for me when I came in, because... I had come from a program growing up 
where everybody gave a shit Mm -hmm. about band. That was there. Even the kids that were in the bottom band gave a crap about what they were doing. They did. And they may have not always wanted to be there all the time, but they cared and they wanted to put together good music for the concert Mm -hmm. and they didn't want to embarrass themselves in front of everybody. And, like, they they gave a crap enough about that that they, you know, participated in everything. Mm -hmm. And so I was used to that and... Even when I student taught, I student taught in, you know, a very middle class, suburban, mainly white school district, and that was the same there. And so when I came to our school district, that culture shift... Oh my gosh. ...of prioritizing, you know, making music and being part of a team Mm -hmm. and working together and getting a product, and yeah, all of that was so different... Mm -hmm. I was shocked. Yeah. Yeah, it is a little bit of a culture shock, and I, I'm, i like, a little bit embarrassed to say that it was. But, yeah. um, you know, I don't think it's, like, totally 100% my fault. It's just kind of, like... I think it's also has a lot to do with the teachers that were there yeah. before us. Oh, my because gosh. Because I expected the level of musicality to not be you know, super high up there, yeah. like, professional sounding little young musicians, but yeah. I at least expected the culture to be that of, like, we want to be here and we right. want to do well. Right. And so I think that also stems from the teacher has to overcompensate and mm-hmm. put in that effort. Like, if you act, if you want your kids to be enthusiastic about a subject, you have to be three times more enthusiastic right. about a subject than they do, right. even if you don't authentically feel that way. Yeah. Especially with middle school. Yeah, oh my god. Otherwise, they won't care. Yeah. They'll look at you like, why are we here? I and, don't want to be here. And you can't rely solely on extrinsic motivation. Like, yes. you can't... It that has does, to be intrinsic. Right. You can't... It, it doesn't... That gets old real fast. Yes. And everybody tries to go towards extrinsic because it's way easier. Mm-hmm. And it takes less effort. But it the end result is just so bad. And you're... And, you know, you have to make up for all of that damage that you did. So my first day, the auditorium is our teaching space. Pros and cons, mostly cons. And one of the cons is to start the school year, our district, or our our, our building um, does a lot of assemblies, grade level assemblies on rules and expectations. And you totally necessary, Yeah, totally necessary to have those. But we can't actually start playing instruments until, like, maybe the second full week of school Mm. because the auditorium is being used almost every period for that you have to be really creative in the time before that to get kids excited about being in band and so my students especially eighth graders up until I had them they had had a different teacher for every year that they had played an instrument so and because of the lack of continuity in curriculum in expectations, quite frankly, in our district with regards to rehearsals and playing an instrument, it was a nightmare. Yeah. And it's not what you imagine not even close your job to be like. Not even yeah. close. Yeah. We didn't we didn't <laughs> I remember at towards like the end of my first year at Olympia, maybe like April, May, um, people would ask me how it's going and I and I would say, you know, we're like finally getting to making music like we're finally getting to a rehearsal it's may there's there was so much damage 
yep. that I worked really hard to try and undo. And it's not perfect yet, but it's getting better. And part of that has to do with connecting with your kids and, and, and learning how, how to intrinsically motivate them. Because every kid is different. Every single kid. Yes. So my first day... I put together this whole slideshow about myself because everyone was like, oh, they just want to know about you. They want to know about your life. And I'm like, perfect. I can talk about that. That's fine. So, and I was like, oh, I'll put some videos of my quartet in there and, and blah, 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 whatever. And I kid you not, I, taking attendance took 15 minutes because I walked in and it was like a teacher didn't even walk in the room. It was like it was the cafeteria. There wouldn't be longer than 30 seconds of complete silence. And I, you know, the periods are 52 minutes long. And I'm looking, and it's 10 minutes in, and we haven't gotten through attendance. And I'm starting to panic because music education classes at Crane didn't prepare me for this mm-hmm. by any means. Student teaching didn't prepare me for this. A lot of schools don't. It's, but why not? And because we're, I mean, <laughs> 10 minutes before the bell's going to ring. And since I'm new, I, I didn't really have the schedule memorized. Plus, I'm totally flustered. I've, you know, taken so much attitude from kids who I just met. Mm-hmm. They don't want anything to do with me. I'm this young white chick that walks in and tries to have authority over them. Like, no way. It was like 10 minutes before the bell's ringing, and I thought that it was time to go. So I let them all go 10 minutes early. And then I get the principal secretary walking down the hall, um, yelling at me for letting the kids go 10 minutes Ah! early after that shit show. And that was my first day. And I went home and I, I did a lot of thinking, um, and a lot of crying, but, and I was like, no, this, like, I'm not going to let this beat me. They're, they're 13, 12 and 13 years old. Like, get your shit together. (laughs) They're kids. Let's like, go, Madeline. Yeah, like, you can do this. <laughs> and uh, and the next, we started on a Wednesday. The next two days were not great. And then over the weekend, I did a lot of thinking and a lot of reflecting. And I was like, you know what? You can't start with music. You can't teach music yet. It's They're not ready. Mm-hmm. They're not ready to learn. Yep. So on Monday, I went in and I started with an apology. And I was real with them. And I said, look, I'm new. I don't know any of you. You don't know me. You don't know what I'm about. But first impressions matter a whole lot. And I think it would do us all a big favor if we just started over, all of us. And they appreciated that. And we spent that entire um, first half of the week, band class was walking around and talking to kids for 45 minutes. And that was it. We didn't do any music. We didn't talk about instruments. It was just, they have to know that I care about them. And we have to build some trust or else and that's this is going to go nowhere. where the consistency of teachers is super right. important. Right. And my kids are now going to have had three different teachers mm-hmm. in three years. Yep. It just doesn't Because work. my colleague decided to leave. But mm-hmm. he's gone. So, yeah. And that's going to cause a whole other thing. But yep. I feel like... Now that I finished my first year, I actually have a good relationship with the kids, but it took a while, Mm -hmm. especially um, with me teaching high school for the upperclassmen. Yeah. They had had the lady I replaced since they were in seventh grade. And then I walk in there, 22 years old, looking like I'm them. them. (laughs) And 
Yeah. They didn't even know I was their teacher when I walked in. Yeah. I had to dress, like, uber professional on the mm-hmm. first day. And it's, it's, it's kind of crazy with that change in dynamic. And I just had to sit there and put myself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. Because they had built such a close relationship with their old teacher yeah. for that many years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'd be upset about that yeah. too. Yeah. And I would be looking at this lady like, who the hell does she yeah. think she is? Right. She's not my old teacher. There we go again, considering it. students' opinions and thoughts. What yeah. a novel concept, friends. <laughs> you know, they would, they would want to do everything the way it had been done, and I was trying to make some changes, and all of that is just a nightmare in and of itself. Right. But getting to know the kids first, actually getting to know them... And knowing how to pronounce and spell their names. Oh my god, yes. Yeah. And you look like an idiot on yeah. the first day asking yeah. them three times to repeat their name. Yeah. But when you, starting the second day, can pronounce their name because you did that. Yeah. That's huge for them. Yeah. Like, actually taking the time and remembering, even if it's just one quick thing about the yeah. kid. Yeah, Like, oh yeah, your sister's in blah blah blah. Or, yeah. you know, you like to play soccer. Right. Like, those kids are like, oh my gosh, she remembered something about yeah. me. Just taking an interest. Yeah. Yeah. Just doing that and not talking at them the entire first, because I feel like a lot of teachers, especially in other subjects, Mm -hmm. are like, here's the syllabus, and then they talk at them for an hour, and they're like, okay, bye. I feel like it's so important in our district and with our demographic, you know, it's not the, the old traditional way of sitting down in a classroom and lecturing to kids, that it's, it doesn't work. There has to be give and take, and, and... There has to be that barrier between teacher and student. It has to break a little bit. Yeah, they have to to see that you're a human. Right. That's why I love our kids so much. I love them. My biggest pains in the butt in my class are some of my favorite students. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They are. Because they have an actual personality. Yeah. (laughs) They're not just little robots that come and sit and do their job and then leave. And I've talked to my kids about this before. I've stopped rehearsal and I've been like, listen, you don't do your job all the time. You talk a lot. You have bad attitudes. But. (laughs) And I didn't like, I obviously cushioned all of that a little bit. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, but. I. I would. I've. I've been on the other side. It's predictable. Mm-hmm. And you guys, I, you are so individual, mm-hmm. and I love each and every single one of you. You don't, you are unapologetically yourselves. And yeah, and I told them, I said, for you people who are 12 and 13 years old, you have no idea how refreshing that is to see. Because I don't think they hear that enough. Yeah. They just hear, stop doing that all the time. Yeah. Detention, referral, go away, don't talk to me. Yeah. Given our, you know, population of students we've been talking about Mm -hmm. and how diverse our students are and how a lot of our students do not look like us Mm -hmm. and given the current climate Mm -hmm. that's going on, you and I had talked about doing this stuff even before Mm -hmm. all of this. We are, one of our goals is to try to promote more female composers Mm -hmm. in our district because... Mm -hmm. When I started this year, I went through our library at my school, and there were, like, no pieces by a female composer. Right. There were, like, no pieces by a person of color. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is going on here? This is terrible. Yeah. Because a lot of our kids aren't white. Right. And if they don't see themselves 
in what we're doing, then they're not going to think that they can be successful. Right. People talk about how, you know, a lot of kids in these, in these schools that are stereotyping our schools, Mm -hmm. they don't end up going to pursue music professionally. Why? Because they never see themselves in it. Right. Even when we recruit kids for band, if they're not seeing people of color playing their instrument, they're not going to think band is for them or orchestra is for them or choir. And so I think that's super important. And we're trying to do an all-female composition concert Concert. together combined. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a very daunting task because, frankly, I barely played music by female composers growing up. Oh, yeah, me neither. Or by composers of color either. But we have online resources now. Oh, so yeah. That's super fun. Yeah. I think it's important that we not only talk about these issues like we have been, but we also walk the walk mm-hmm. as well. We seek out opportunities to follow through with. I feel like educators, they know the problems, and they feel like they can't do anything, and they feel like they're helpless. Um, heads up, you're in charge of your program. Right. You right. are the one who makes the executive decisions. Mm-hmm. So do it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a little scary because I feel like there aren't that many pieces for our level of children and that's to And do. that's a huge issue, too, is what I'm finding. You know, there are so many online resources. One that I'm trying to learn more about um, is the Institute for Composer Diversity. Yeah, ComposerDiversity.com. Yep. Go check it out. <laughs> Literally the easiest URL you could ever think of. Yep. Um, so, and actually today is saxophone day. Woo-woo. That obviously promotes composers of color so and, and underrepresented genders. So their database is quite extensive. Yes. However, there is a huge gap in compositions for like level two, three wow. ensembles. And I think that's also due to the fact that it's an uncomfortable level to write for mm-hmm. because there's such a wide variety of ability levels. And some composers get smart and they start writing for the upper levels and yep. they go, oh, I can make a lot of money doing right. this because nobody's doing it. Right. But those people usually are, are white already, men yep. who have already established their yep. success in the upper levels, like people yep. like Brian Balmages. Oh my gosh, yeah. And even John Mackey yeah. started writing for some lower levels. Yep. But they established themselves in the four, five, six territory, and then they moved down because they were like, holy crap, I can get a monopoly on this. Right, right. Don't blame them for that. Like, make the money, go. But I think female composers also need to push along that trajectory as well, because, like, really the only one I can really think of is, like, Anne McGinty. Yeah. She writes for everybody. Yeah. Carol Britton Chambers does some good level... uh, We were going to play a piece of hers... Softly Speaks the Night on mm-hmm. our um, Nisma Majors performance in May, which didn't happen. Is like her one piece for that level in that's the in Nisma the Nisma Manual. Manual. Right. Woohoo! Yeah. We're going to have a whole episode about the Nisma oh, Manual. Oh, yeah. And also, we <laughs> we can't forget about our, about Larry Clark, who friggin' <laughs> pen, did a pen name, an Asian pen name, to try and get more money. A female Asian. And he's pending. not. Yeah. Not either of those things. Right. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Lovely man. Yep. That, um, he should have gotten arrested for that. Oh my god. Thing. Yeah, why didn't that happen? Like, that's like... I don't know. I feel like that's so... It's so wrong on so many levels yeah. that it's sickening. Yep. It is and sickening. here's the thing. 
He didn't have to do that because right. the he people literally that play makes so much money. Yes, because they the people that are widely the most successful in the band world are still white men. Yeah. I think other groups like orchestras and choirs are starting to become a lot more diversified than yeah, we are. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Which is why like all of this work that I'm doing because we are still stuck yeah. in the freaking like 17th century yeah. over here. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. Old white boys club. Yeah. And it's yeah. terrible. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have that female high school band director, would I have thought that I could do it? Right. I don't know. Right. There have been there have been so many male band directors in my career. Like, I don't know what your experience is with like your like the honor bands that you did throughout mm-hmm. your high school career. There was not a single female. There was not a single person of color. It was all yeah. white guys. Um, all of my all-state conductors were all white yep. men. Yep. No one that anybody ever brought in was a person of color yep. or a female. Yep. Uh, no. We, yeah. we didn't have any of that. We I've, I've played for many a famous composer, and none of them were ever any of those underrepresented factions of yeah. our society. I'm just thinking back on... When I started this project and this idea, and when I was going forth with the presentation that I did that kind of spurred this whole thing that mm-hmm. I wanted to start doing, some of my colleagues at my school, I they did not say this to my face, but they had said it to someone who they thought was um, going to sympathize with their argument, straight right. white man club, mm-hmm. who came to me and told me, like, this is the conversation in my own program. Yeah. They don't think that these issues are still a problem and they don't get why I'm still talking about it. And those are men that say that. Yes. And of they course. told this to another man who happens to be one of my friends who mm-hmm. came to me because so really it hurt me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. To have something that I, th- I feel so passionate about and I know affects so many people, even more so than my own personal experience, and to have them be like, oh, this doesn't exist. Yeah. This isn't a problem anymore. Yeah. Why are you complaining about it? You just want to complain. Right. And they never experienced it. So why would they have an opinion about it? And that's kind of how I feel with, like, the Black Lives Matter thing going on. Yeah. I feel like as a white woman, I don't, it's not my place to comment about what should or should not be happening. Right. I can be an ally and I can be supportive and I can sign petitions and do all these things, but it's not my place because I didn't experience what they experienced. Right. And it's the same thing in this situation. Mm -hmm. These men have never experienced this trauma. Yes. Literally, like, trauma. It was Where traumatic. the world has put up all of these fences for us, and we keep having to be, like, freaking horses jumping over every single fence mm-hmm. in order to get to the same spot that they are at. Right. They had this, and, and they can say, oh, I went through all of this, and that's fine. Like, you had your own mm-hmm. challenges, everybody does, but not in the way that we did because of our gender. I'd like to conclude this. With the idea that this is still an issue, these are still problems, Mm -hmm. and Madeline and I as teachers are doing our best to correct these issues for the future, whether it's the concerts we're programming or gender-neutral instrument demonstrations 
or things that we're trying to do to make maybe the fences that we've had to hurdle over not completely disappear because we can't control every factor, but at least make them a little bit shorter. Yeah. So it's easier for the young women that we teach to be able to feel like they can at least be successful at their instrument, even if they don't pursue it professionally, to, like, go on to their high school groups Mm -hmm. or maybe even still play in college and feel like they're not going to have every barrier along the way. Right. Because it still is a problem. And I want to make that very clear. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. it was hard for me before because I was only talking about my experiences. Yeah. But that's the point of this whole podcast is to have people talk about this happened to me and it's real and this is what I'm doing about it. Yeah. And I think those are important conversations to have because there are people in our profession mm-hmm. who are going to be future teachers that are saying that these things don't exist. When they will be teaching young women Mm -hmm. who will be going through those issues. And if you're telling a young woman that what she's experiencing isn't real, good luck becoming a good teacher. Because your kids aren't going to respect you. So true. So, that was like a very scary note to end it on. (laughs) No, but an incredibly necessary one. Yes. So... I want to thank Madeline for talking today. Thank you so much for having me. This was really great. Thanks for coming on and talking with us. Yeah, and and let's put on that concert. Yes. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Me too. A colleague, a colleague, one of my colleagues.